You're listening to episode number 50 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. Every Sunday, only on Sundays, I'll release a new podcast episode exploring topics like mental health, entrepreneurship, feminism, and of course, self-care. And today's episode is a big one because we have hit the big 5-0, 50 episodes. I can't believe that we've made it this far, to be honest. When I started the podcast around this time last year, I kind of had no idea what I was doing with it or where I wanted to take it. And it's really just been this passion project that I've kind of worked on in evenings and weekends over the past year. It really is, for me, my own self-care. And having these conversations with so many different women of all walks of life, all different types of careers and things that they've learned about their mental health and so many different journeys, it's been really rewarding for me. But I just wanted to say a big thank you to you guys for tuning in weekly, for all of your support, for sharing on Instagram and sharing on social media and suggesting guests. If I didn't have an audience to listen to me ramble every week, this episode would be a lot less interesting. So thank you if you've been listening from day one. Thank you if this is the first time that you're tuning in. You guys have no idea how much I appreciate that. And if you want to be extra amazing, leaving a five-star review or a rating on iTunes actually is super helpful because it helps us get ranked, it helps new people discover the show, and in addition to that, if you want to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag on Instagram, I try to repost everybody, it's at selfcaresunday or at kaylee.e.r, which is my personal. So for the 50th episode, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Usually I'm interviewing a guest or sharing my own thoughts and insights on a specific topic, but this week I asked you guys to interview me. So I put out on Instagram uh, if you had any questions for me that you wanted answered in this podcast episode, and I haven't read through all of them yet, and I'm not going to go through them in any particular order. Um, I just thought that this would be fun for you guys to kind of get to know me a little bit more. So let's get into the episode. Let's start with a pretty basic question, which comes from one of my Instagram followers. And that question is, what exactly do you do? What does a day in the life entail? That's a great question because I try to keep the podcast and my work somewhat separate. I've definitely talked about work concepts on the podcast before. There's been various influencer and Instagram episodes, which you can feel free to go back and listen to if that's kind of a world that you're interested in. But this really is my hobby and passion project. This is not my full-time job. My full-time job is I am a freelancer in influencer marketing and social media. That basically means that I work with brands to create their social media strategies. I manage Instagram. I create content for Instagram. And then I also work with brands to implement influencer campaigns. So I manage a network of micro-influencers that's around 350 people so far, 
And I work with brands to kind of connect the dots between finding the right influencers that would represent their brand and then executing on those strategies, tracking the content, tracking the ROI, reporting back to the brand on all of the statistics of what it actually looks like when you collaborate with a brand as an influencer. So I would say probably 50% of my job is the social media side of things, um, mostly specializing in Instagram management. And the other 50% of my job is the influencer marketing side of things. And I work primarily with fashion, beauty, and wellness brands. And I work in Canada and the US, so I'm based in Calgary, Alberta, but I would say 50% of my clients are in the United States and 50% are in Canada. As for a day in the life, um, it varies. I've definitely tried to create more of a routine and a stricter schedule over the past year. When I first started freelancing, I really was pretty laissez-faire with things. I would never set an alarm clock for myself because hashtag self-care. I hate alarm clocks. I hate waking up early. I'm not a morning person, or at least I thought I was not a morning person. And so I would just kind of wake up whenever. I didn't have super structured days. It was just like whatever I needed to get done that day would get done. Now, I would say I've definitely created more structure around my days. So I try to wake up before 8 or 8.30 every single day. I don't know how I've become a morning person. I would say that having a ton of natural light is absolutely key for me. And so I designed my new bedroom in Calgary to basically be the brightest, (laughs) most light-filled room that I could have. Um, So I wake up with the sun basically in the spring and summer, and then in the winter, I'm already dreading it. I know that's going to be way harder, Um, but I try to wake up around 8, and then between 8 and 10, I usually do some Instagram stuff. I get out of bed and make a coffee. Um, I try to have breakfast every day. That's something that I never used to do, but I'm finding as I wake up earlier is super important for me. Uh, And then I get onto my emails. I am a big morning email person. I love seeing what came in the night before. And also being in Calgary, I'm two to three hours behind most of the working day. So for example, New York is two hours ahead of us. Um, So I have clients on the East Coast that I am basically already catching up with by the time that I wake up and they've already been working for for a couple hours. So I do that, and then 9 to 11 a.m. I would say is more Instagram posting, engagement, management for clients, and then trying to send out emails for influencers. So if we have any new campaigns that we're casting influencers for, I try to schedule all of my emails sometime during the morning then because then people tend to see them more in their inbox and have kind of all day to respond and talk to them. Between 12 and 2, I try to keep things really chill for lunch. Um, I usually work a little bit on personal content during the afternoons as well, so it's not just like a full 8-hour workday working for other people because I do a lot of my own brand collaborations as well, so I usually schedule that between 12 to 2 or 3 because that's when the light is the nicest in my bedroom or kind of outside. 
And then from two to four, I have scheduled blocks for clients. So there's a couple clients that I do a little bit more intensive work with, and I need at least one to two hours carved out a day to work with them. So I have those afternoon blocks scheduled off for them, which means that if I have any phone calls that I need to do with them or any content that needs to be scheduled out or emails or whatever, that's when I'm doing that. And then 5 p.m. onwards is really a mixed bag for me. Um, Sometimes it's creating content, sometimes it's more emails, a lot of times it's creating Instagram reports, um, checking up on analytics and campaign progresses, and then more Instagram posting and more engagement because Usually I have one brand that's posting in the morning and one that's posting in the evening. I find the best times for engagement usually are in the evening because more people are on their phone after work and kind of when they're laying in bed. So that's when I try to do that work for clients and for myself. My days never really have a specific end time because as a freelancer and also as somebody who is, you know, her own personal brand and and business owner, there is always things that I could be doing. So there's usually a project that I'm working on, whether it's a YouTube video or a podcast episode, or I'm writing questions to interview a new guest, or I'm editing content that I worked on earlier that day, or maybe I'm creating pitch emails for new clients. There's so many things that go into being a full-time freelancer and entrepreneur, and especially when your job is related to creative content and Instagram, you kind of always have to be present and always have to be creating and working on those things. So I would say my day never truly ends. I try to get off of emails definitely before 8 p.m., but I actually turned emails back onto my phone, which I didn't have them on before, I think it's because I have less anxiety around it now. It used to be something that was really anxiety provoking for me when I ran a product-based business and an online business. And now I think because I really love and have great working relationships with the clients that I work for, I actually don't mind getting an email at 8 or 9 p.m. because I don't know, I just, I'm really loving my work right now. So I do try to set certain boundaries. I will say that Throughout the week, I am way busier than I am on the weekends. I really try to take Sundays truly off and truly have a self-care Sunday. And that's usually time that I'm spending with my friends or my family or, you know, relationship time. Um, So throughout the week, I'm pretty busy doing a slew of things. And then on the weekends, I'm working on the podcast and just chilling. That was a super long answer for that question, but... Hopefully that gives you a better picture and hopefully you found that interesting. The next question is, what is your favorite memory from being a mental health advocate as in, quote unquote, that being your job and do you have any regrets? So if you have been following me on Instagram for, you know, a few years, you will remember kind of my past life being a full-time mental health advocate I used to own a clothing brand that raised awareness about mental health and mental illness, and I've experienced mental illness myself. Um, In university, I struggled with an eating disorder. It was something I didn't really tell anybody in my life, and that's kind of what spurred my jump into mental health advocacy and then later being burned out and then later creating Self-Care Sunday as kind of a remedy to that. 
So it's been a journey, and I even did a podcast episode, and I even did a podcast episode on why I don't call myself a mental health advocate anymore, and it's episode number 12. Um, It's one of the more listened to episodes, and I definitely don't regret that time in my life at all. Um, For some more context, I not only was kind of advocating online or whatever picture you might have in your head, but I actually became a trained speaker. Um, I went and spoke at universities and college campuses and high schools across Canada and the United States, and at the same time was also working on a national council of youth representatives for a $25 million research project on how to better improve mental health services in Canada. So it wasn't just kind of the online advocacy or the fashion piece. It was also a lot of public speaking and, you know, policy awareness and kind of lending the youth voice to different issues. And there's a lot of things that I'm super proud of. Um, There's so many cool organizations that I worked with and that I built relationships with, but I think truly the the thing that I'm most proud of and kind of the my favorite memory from that time in my life was getting to speak at We Day. And so if you're not familiar with what We Day is, it's basically this massive one-day conference for students to all come together and talk about creating change in the world, whether that's solving uh, human rights crises or mental health issues, and really just like making noise about these issues that are so important to young people and kind of the ways that we can create change for the next generation. So these conferences tend to have like 10,000 people at them all packed into a stadium. There is massive artists and celebrities that speak and perform at these conferences. Um, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, so many people. And I will say that when I was in high school, I loved Free the Children. I spent so much time volunteering and fundraising for Free the Children, which is kind of the founding nonprofit that eventually led into this social enterprise that founded We Day. So I've been super familiar with We Day and Free the Children for like a decade. Um, I remember when the first We Days started, and this was like back before they had We Days in every province and like every major city. I think there was only two We Days in Canada at the time. One was in Vancouver and one was in Toronto, and I grew up in Alberta. So there was no We Day in our province, but there was an online auction for We Day. Uh, They were basically fundraising for the summit and one of the things that you could bid on was two tickets to We Day. So my friend and I in grade 12, we actually bid, I think it was like an online auction on eBay. So they were fundraising through eBay. This was like before Kickstarter or Indiegogo or anything like that. My friend and I bid on these We Day tickets. I think we paid like a couple hundred bucks each for them. And we ended up booking flights to Vancouver to go to We Day. Like this is how hardcore student leadershipy I was. We paid money to go to We Day. It was all for a good cause, of course. And I remember sitting in the stadium in Vancouver 
just like being a part of this massive crowd of young people, like thousands and thousands of young people sitting there in the dark with all these lights from people's cell phones lighting up and, you know, hearing the artists and hearing Craig Kilberger speak. And I remember that feeling so vividly, like I'm getting goosebumps right now. And I remember thinking that one day I wanted to speak at We Day. Like it was just this intention that I put out into the universe and I didn't know how or why or what topic, but I just felt in my heart that I had to be on that stage because being in that crowd was the coolest feeling and I knew that being on the stage would be even cooler. So I guess seven years later maybe, um, actually not quite seven years, five years later, that basically manifested. So I was invited to speak at We Day. I spoke um, in Saskatchewan and in Halifax and I cannot describe how cool it is to step onto a stage in front of 10,000 screaming kids and share, you know, the most vulnerable part of my soul, which is my my history with my eating disorder and kind of how I grew into mental health advocacy because of that. It's a feeling that I don't know if I'll ever get to experience it again because those things are just so rare, but it was the coolest moment probably in my entire life and something that I will never, ever forget. This is another question kind of more geared towards the business side of things. She says, what made you want to personally brand yourself? Um, Good question. I don't think it's something that I super consciously did at first um, when I first got into mental health advocacy and you know co-founded my startup it was something that kind of came alongside of those two things very naturally and then I kind of became a little bit more conscious of it when I started getting into the influencer space and really realizing that there is a connection between your personal brand online and the kind of work and the kind of clients that you get and brand collaborations. And so I, you know, it's still, it's not something that I've perfected. And I wouldn't say that I, Kaylee Reed, have a super clear cut personal brand. Um, But I have been kind of conscious about even little things like aesthetic and colors that I like and, you know, key values that I, that I hold and interests that I have, like cruelty-free skincare and self-care and female entrepreneurs and um, politics and being really transparent and vulnerable about talking about those things and talking about money as an entrepreneur. Uh, So I think these are all things that just the more that I verbalized in my content kind of became part of my personal brand. And then I would kind of see what was really resonating with other people and what felt really good when I was posting and talking about it and just started doing more of that and slowly but surely I've developed you know somewhat of a personal brand both as Kaylee the advocate and influencer and then Kaylee as the startup founder freelancer and entrepreneur it's something that I am very much still figuring out and it's kind of an interesting time that you've asked that question because I'm working with a branding designer right now, um, basically as of like this week to really carve out what I want the future of my work to look like. So 
it's something that I'm thinking about more and hopefully I'll kind of have a more concrete visual direction, you know, within the next month-ish that I can show you guys, which I'm pretty excited for because I have never really treated my personal brand aesthetic as professionally as I've treated other things in my working working life. So yeah, this is something that I'm kind of glad has come up and I'm excited to be working on more. Uh, this question is, what is your current biggest goal or wildest dream? I have been thinking a lot the past couple months about where I want to go with my career. Um, I've been freelancing now for a full year. It's my first full year ever of just working by myself and for myself. And I have loved it. It's probably been the best year of my life. Um, at least 2019 is off to a super, super good start. And I'm so grateful for the work that I'm doing right now. So when I look like five or 10 years in the future, is it something that I still want to be doing and kind of what are my goals around that? I am thinking more about what that looks like. Another thing that I've been kind of, you know, hesitant to do over the past year is verbalize too much what my goals are because there's actually a study that I read that basically concluded if you are verbalizing your goals to somebody, you get the same rush of feelings, the same rush of achievement as when you actually accomplish those goals. So just by talking to somebody about how excited you are about reaching a goal, you're getting the same feeling as when you physically accomplish that goal. And what that means is that a lot of people verbalize their goals and verbalize what they want to accomplish, and then they get that satisfying feeling once they tell somebody about it, and that's enough for them to feel content, and then they often don't actually go on to complete or accomplish the thing because they already have that satisfied feeling from the thing that they're talking about, so there's not as much incentive for them to actually accomplish it. And when I read that, I was kind of surprised and started not talking about my big long-term goals as much and realized that it definitely was something that was applicable to me. You know, it's easy to have a million big ideas and what's really difficult is to execute on them and make them reality. And trust me, as somebody who has been a startup founder and just the stresses and pressures that come from doing that... I'm not necessarily super motivated right now or maybe even ready to build another business or build another brand like that because I've been there and I know the struggle and I know how much hard work and money and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, it takes to often realize these really lofty goals. At the same time, yeah, there's things that I'm excited about. Am I going to talk about them right now? Uh, probably not. Probably when I'm like, a little bit more concrete in there's there's two things really specifically that I have as goals for 2019 and like I said I don't really want to verbalize them yet until I have a little bit more concrete uh just I don't know oomph behind each of them but I will say that one is geared towards influencer marketing and kind of scaling up the work that I'm doing right now and that's probably a goal that's 75% uh, on its way to being achieved. So 
once that other 25% hits, then maybe I'll share it with you guys once I've actually achieved the goal. And the second goal that I have for 2019 has to do with politics and the election, the federal election that's coming up in November of 2019. No, I am not running for office, but I do have kind of a big goal around contributing to the election in a way. That goal is basically like maybe we'll say 40% on its way to being realized and I only have a few months to get that one done. So I'm again not going to say anything too concrete about it, but those are kind of your hints as to what I'm working on this year. Um, And then the final question that I'll wrap up on is related to what I just mentioned with uh, the election. The question is, do you ever see yourself going into politics? Um, I'm glad that somebody asked this because my initial kind of goal and dream when I got accepted to university is just a little youngin. I always wanted to go into politics. I thought I would finish my undergrad and then do a law degree probably and then go into politics in some way. Um, of course, I've also always been interested in fashion and that's kind of the path that I went more down over the past few years and particularly you know using fashion as a way to create change and um, influence people's decisions and there's you know a lot of psychology behind fashion too that I'm really interested in but the answer to your question is that I do hope to go into politics someday um, I look back over the past few years, even just the past five years, since, uh, you know, being a 20-year-old to being a 25-year-old now, and I look at my 20-year-old self and think, wow, I truly knew nothing. (laughs) I was trying my best. I was trying my darndest, but I have learned so much over the past five years, both professionally and personally, and I can't even imagine what would happen if I you know, took everything that I learned now and applied that to kind of some of the same goals that I had when I was 20. Like if I took all of the knowledge that I have now and, you know, co-founded another startup, I think the story would be completely different than what it looked like when I was 20 years old. And so kind of having that self-awareness and realizing that um, I'm also self-aware enough to realize that I don't want to run for politics anytime soon. Uh, There's a lot that I want to do and need to do, I think, prior to running. I would be inclined to run uh, federally as an MP, but who knows? I've been loving being in in Calgary and Alberta um, over the past five or six months so far. And so maybe I'll end up being an MLA here. Um, But I think first steps for me are going to be solidifying my professional business career a little bit more. I'm getting to a place that I feel a little bit more accomplished professionally. And then the second step would be going back to school or maybe doing part-time studies alongside some of the business stuff that I'm doing. Because while I don't think that you need a master's degree or a law degree to be in politics, I think that there are a lot of things that I would like to personally just have a deeper understanding of. So I would eventually like to go back to school, learn a bit more, and then maybe after all of this is said and done, let's say in five years, um, 
I feel super successful as a businesswoman and I've gone back and done some part-time studies or maybe I've gone back and done, done a law degree and I'm now a lawyer. I think at that point I would definitely consider running or maybe even in four years for the next federal election. Who knows? I'm putting this all out into the universe now and my mind could completely change. And like I said, I don't like verbalizing goals necessarily until I feel like I'm about to accomplish them or I have accomplished them. But I feel like this is very different because this is like a would you ever or, you know, in five or ten years, where do you see yourself? And so... That, that really, I think, would be part of my, my end goal is uh, contributing to public policy in some way because as much as I love business and as much as I think that business can push forward a lot of progressive ideas, can be at the forefront of a lot of change, at the end of the day, that change needs to be implemented in written law in order for it to be, um, you know, concretely part of our society and part of the foundation for new societies and generations going forward. And so that's what really interests me about public policy and and running for parliament someday is being a part of that kind of long-term systemic change. So the answer to to your question is yes, but not for a long time, probably five years minimum, but probably more like 10 or 15 years, who knows? Um, I'm still young and I'm totally okay with that. So I think that's where I want to wrap up this episode. Um, These are some good questions. I really liked doing this. Thank you guys so much for uh, being curious about, you know, me and, and asking these questions. This was really fun. And maybe I'll do this again um, at another milestone episode. Until next time, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you are listening, leave a rating or review if you're so inclined and Happy Self-Care Sunday, everyone.